James Bible Study, Part 9, Two Wisdoms For lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from James, Chapter 3, Verses 13 through 18 Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The first twelve verses of chapter three are dedicated to the hazards presented by human communication, especially in terms of the teachers within the church. The tongue is a dangerous and untamable rudder by which we both curse and bless, leading St. James to conclude that it, like a wild animal, must be kept under strict control. Though he begins this section of the epistle by warning teachers specifically, the warnings are applicable and beneficial to all that our Lord may call to teach, which means all of us. By virtue of our vocations, especially those related to the family, any believer may be called to teach, clarify, or bear witness to the dogmas which have been passed down to us from the word, and thus we must pray for self-control in our speech. However, the author will not leave his discourse on the tongue at the need to cage the tongue. For this passage, he begins to discuss the content of what is taught, when one is called to speak in one capacity or another, the inner man must be granted wisdom which will inform their choice of words. This will either be the wisdom of demons and sinners, or lower wisdom, or the wisdom granted by God alone, higher wisdom. Here the reader is warned against the former and encouraged to seek the latter for the sake of peace, and righteousness. Verses 13 and 14 say, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. St. James opens with a rhetorical question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Before someone may answer by raising his hand, the author adds a qualification. A wise man 
would already have good conduct on account of the meekness which wisdom produces. The word translated meekness is prauteti, suggesting one's possession of power or strength being subdued with gentleness and reservedness. In other words, the wise man does not blurt out whatever comes to mind, but only employs, teaches, or imparts his wisdom when the occasion truly calls for it. For the most part, his wisdom is shown through his righteous and humble way of living. It is as if St. James were saying to his audience, Wisdom is known by the works the wise perform. If you were truly wise, you would not go about telling everyone. Those who would boast in their wisdom only demonstrate that they are false to the truth, or bearing false witness concerning themselves. A man who goes to the congregation looking for applause, puffing himself up from the revelations he imagines he has peered into, or lauding his own accomplishments, is not wise at all. The author seems to be referring to the public behavior of the Pharisees, as his words could be seen as a continuation of Christ's warning. From Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The Pharisees, indeed the Judaizers of St. James' day as well, made a habit of loudly praying or proclaiming their deeds, prayers, and teachings so that everyone would see them and think highly of them. They receive a far smaller reward than the actually wise, holy, and righteous person who requires no such attention. Their motivations were jealousy and selfish ambition. We must note here that the term translated selfish ambition does not prohibit Christians from being ambitious in the first place. The word is eritheon, which describes a mercenary ambition, not someone having a passion for a particular skill, trade, or hobby. The man poisoned by eritheon thinks only of his own earthly good riches, reputation, pleasures, etc. A teacher, or one claiming to be wise, that has this problem is never teaching the truth for its own sake. Thus, St. James places the word next to envy or jealousy on account of its other connotation, which is rivalry. The man with Eritheon can frequently be found intentionally causing division and drama between groups, bleating about his qualities, whether that be his high IQ or his academic qualifications or the inferiority of other men. The man without it lets his works, words, and portfolio speak for themselves. This malady, Eritheon, is the opposite of the humility of St. John the Baptist. When Christ's ministry began to overtake John's, instead of feuding with our Lord, he submits to the course of teaching and says, 
He must increase, but I must decrease. From John 3, verse 30. Verses 15 and 16 say, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. We should not be surprised that St. James says there is a demonic and earthly wisdom. Indeed, the world does perceive jealousy and selfish ambition as wise. After all, if one's goal is the accumulation of riches or reputation, jealousy and mercenary self-centeredness certainly help achieve such a goal. It is earthly because it concerns earthly desires. It is unspiritual because it does not seek anything related to the kingdom of God. It is demonic because this kind of wisdom, lower wisdom, is exactly what the devil wants people to learn instead of the true and heaven-sent wisdom. It creates disorder because of the inevitable fracturing of all groups where it is present. It involves every vile practice on account of sin being necessary to achieve the ends of lower wisdom itself. As a prime example of lower wisdom, consider the actions of Jeroboam, the first king of northern Israel. From 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 through 33, after he led a successful secession movement against Judah, he decided to do the following to maintain his hold on the people he ruled. He built two temples in the kingdom. He trained and hired priests from all tribes, not just Levites or the line of Aaron. He built golden calves, and he changed the dates of feasts away from what Moses prescribed. These are all actions contrary to the Mosaic law, and the Christian balks at them as deeply unwise. Jeroboam created a religious schism to go with his political schism, making it certain that his actions greatly displeased our Lord. Yet according to lower wisdom, these were ingenious reforms. Separate temples meant that the children of Israel would not feel required to return to Judah for holy days like the Day of Atonement. Priests taken from other tribes would disrupt the propagation of Mosaic law, which the Aaronic priests would most definitely be teaching. Thus, the masses would not hear that they must go to Judah or be united with them. The golden calves provided cultural distinction from Judah and set in place a narrative that Judah misunderstood the golden calf incident of Exodus 32. Changing the feast dates further disrupted the common cultural and religious bond between North and South. By his reforms, quote-unquote, Jeroboam effectively created a new kingdom with a new culture and a new worldview by which he prevented any chance at reconciliation between the tribes of Israel. Jeroboam's motivations were earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
He cared only for his power in his earthly life. He made his reforms not because they were true, but because they were useful. And in sinning this deeply against our Lord, the demonic involvement could not be clearer. The same wisdom is peddled to young men today by earthly teachers like Andrew Tate, the Liver King, and others. Women receive the same through the so-called female dating strategy, women who teach them to be shameless gold diggers. Ours is the heyday of lower wisdom, unfortunately, with the central divide being between selfish hedonists and the selfish status seekers. Verses 17 and 18 say, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In keeping with his pronouncements in the first chapter, that all good gifts come from God, and that God alone grants true or higher wisdom, and all is given to us by his grace, that's chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 and 16 through 18, St. James confirms that higher wisdom is not from the earth. It must be given to us unilaterally mostly through the word taught to us, James 1, verse 21. But here he speaks of the characteristics of the wise. This is in contrast to the book of Proverbs, where King Solomon speaks primarily of what wisdom does for us and what being wise looks like in our actions. So what is wisdom going to be like in us? First, it will be pure, unstained by the world or sin, then it will be peaceable, not initiating conflict and only fighting when necessary. It will be full of mercy, forgiving as we were forgiven. It will be full of good works, busy with pleasing our Lord. It will be impartial, avoiding the sin of partiality. It will be sincere, loving the truth and holding to it, avoiding hypocrisy. The man imbued with higher wisdom does not wear masks, seek after filthy lucre, nor divide for the sake of division. To the contrary, they make for peace. Not the kind of peace that is free from conflict, such is impossible per John 16 verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation but rather the wholeness of the believer and the wholeness they impart toward others. The term translated as peace is erene, which literally means joined together into a whole. Certainly it can mean that one is in concord with another human being. However, as this is not always a possibility, the internal peace of the individual is both a greater priority and a more scripturally coherent understanding, especially as God is the one bringing us wisdom, not our relationships with other people. Underlining the need for an inner peace or wholeness, the author also says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
This harkens back to his earlier statement in James 1 verse 20 that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If our anger cannot make us righteous, what will? The answer is the wholeness produced by wisdom, which is passed unto the elect by God Almighty. If one is secure in their identity in Christ, standing upon the firm foundation of faith and the assurance of salvation, then they are whole. If they are whole, then they sow righteousness with their lives, including devotions and deeds which make for peace. And if they sow righteousness, they shall surely reap through the steadfastness which both St. James and the author of Hebrews praise in unqualified terms. We will explore more of the consequences of this as we begin chapter 4 next week, but until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and Amen.